Hey guys, so our show is sponsored today by Blocksleep.com. Blocks supply blue light glasses that help aid sleep. They block up to 98% blue light emitted from electronic devices, enabling a good night rest and quality sleep. Hello, my name is Joel Ingram, and welcome to the Midlife Crisis Man podcast. This show is to help listeners take charge and implement the positive change they need in their lives. So the sense of feeling lost is replaced with direction and the finality of time is used to drive them to understand what they are uniquely qualified to do and move towards their goals, leave their legacy before their time fades. Today I have with me Nick Donado. Now Nick is an entrepreneur, consultant, public speaker, focused on adversity, personal growth and education. Throughout his career, he has interviewed hundreds of experts on overcoming adversity, dealing with trauma and stress, and the crucial role that it plays in our cognitive development and education. Nick has dealt with adversity in his entire life. At seven years old, Nick's family went from a living the American dream to a foreclosed home, divorce, and mental illness. He spent a year sleeping on the floor of a one-room apartment and sharing a kitchen with 17 people. He writes and podcasts more about his journey, the story and science of adversity, and personal growth at nickdonado.com. So today, I'd like to welcome Nick. Hi, Nick. What's up, Joel? How, How you we doing, doing? Man? Good, man. You? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. How's the podcast going? I, I'm loving it. <laughs> it's, it's addictive. It is so addictive. <laughs> you get to have these conversations that you just wouldn't have with people, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, me and the wife did one the other day together, and it was nice to sit down for an hour and actually talk with each other. That's awesome. You're looking really well, man. Thanks, man. You too. You were uh, you, you like lost a bit of weight, I think. I did. I lost. I lost probably fifteen pounds. Oh, well done, dude. Yeah, thanks. So what? Trying, trying to stay fit as fit as I possibly can. So. Uh, the kids should do that, shouldn't they? That's right. Exactly. <laughs> you know, even even having my uh, my beers still, so you, know, you can't give that up. <laughs> <laughs> you got something to look forward to. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> What's new with you? How are the kids and everybody? Yeah, great, man. Great. Well, good. Yeah, we got. Um, yeah, we've had a bit of a break, so actually, yesterday with uh, with with Kenzie, um, to uh, as usually through self reflection, um, looking at the way we were dealing with him, and um, we decided to change the way that we were doing things with the way, you know, with the way that we were communicating with him, um, and then when he's talking to us, because we're all. You know, it's like kids, you're always busy. You're always putting something away or tidying or cooking, putting those things down and actually paying attention, you know? Absolutely, man. And it's being present, I suppose. It's, uh, it's paying dividends. Like, And that's within two days. It's like a, he actually got up this morning and made his bed, man. He's, 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 he's never done that in his life. <laughs> so what's that about, Nick? Wow. That's, yeah. Like a different Good kid. kid. <laughs> that's cool. How, how many interviews have you done so far? So you're my sixth. Gotcha. So you've, you've had Jason on, Andy. I haven't had Jason on yet. I gotcha. Okay. I, I've asked I've asked Jason McKenzie and I've asked Jason Titas. Uh, it's just trying to fit everyone in. So uh, yes, it's uh, it's all good. So That's what it it's just tough trying to be consistent with it. That's the biggest thing. Yeah, I'm gonna try and do one a week, but I wanna from my own learning and going back through them and then reposting on like a Thursday, um, my learnings from the interview. Yep. 
so the actionable like like Tom Bilyeu does in Impact Theory. Yeah. So that's, that's that's the plan. So yeah. Cool man. Okay, so you said six sixteen fifty, yeah? Yeah. So I got about forty, forty five minutes. That's cool. Have you got a timer on just in case I get off track? Yeah. Yeah, no, cool. No. <laughs> I'll keep an eye on the time. It's just in case I get carried away. We both, we both can get carried away. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. Right, so you ready to dig in? I've done the intro and everything. I'm ready. I'm excited. Cool. Okay, cool, man. So um, could you tell me a, a little bit about something that you're currently passionate about in your life? Yeah, so I, I, yeah, I think you, you talked about it in the... Um, in your intake form there. And I, I don't know if I necessarily have something that I'm passionate about in my life currently. And I think what I mean by that is um, about, let's see, right after we actually did our mastermind group, which was probably, I would say early first kind of first quarter, 2017, I was faced with kind of a crossroads. And, um, so I have this side hustle business that I do, which is mostly consulting and mastermind groups. And I do this, uh, this podcast called the Sweet Adversity Podcast, which explores a lot of what you're exploring. Um, and I have a son, a two-year-old son, and I was trying to figure out, hey, do I go full-time into this side hustle that I've got, right? Um, or do I continue to work full-time and still you know, strike the, the entrepreneurial bug on the, on the side. And it was this crossroads. And I was talking to Andy Sorch about it cause he was dealing with the exact same thing and he went the other way, but I, I decided to kind of center myself and I said, okay, I'm passionate about all the things that I'm doing with having these great conversations with people that I really care about doing the exact same thing in the mastermind groups with having a great group of like-minded men that you can talk to talk to about um, certain things that, that are going on in their lives, certain things that you're struggling with, that you're succeeding with, and how you can take action on those things moving forward. So how do I continue to do that, but also provide stability and comfort for my own family, right? So do you sacrifice what you're passionate about, or do you just execute on it in a different way? So what I decided to do from a passion standpoint was continue doing things on the side because what I did was I, def I really defined my core values and we do that in the, in the mastermind group all the time. So instead of just making a decision based on what I'm passionate about, I said, what are the things that are most important to me and my family that I want to make sure that they have? So, you know, some of those things would be um, making sure that I have flexibility, um, financial flexibility and time flexibility to be with my son, to be able to, go out to eat with them, to be able to go on trips with them. Was I going to be able to do that if I was, if I went full-time my passion project? Yes, eventually, probably, but um, that wouldn't happen in the immediate. They would put some financial stressors, stressors on my family and that sort of thing. So long story short is, um, am I exploring what I'm passionate about? Yes, but not probably to its fullest extent because I'm still really tied and really focused on making sure that my core values are in line and that makes me happiest. So it's not necessarily focused on the passion, but what makes me and my family happy, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I found that was big and I, I, I'd explored values in other books that I'd read before I did the mastermind. Um, but being able to talk it through with other people and like books can only get you so far. Sometimes you need that 
shift in perspective or you know explained in a different way or but to allow the learning to sink in and the understanding to sink in and that's what i got from the masterminds i thought it was really powerful yeah exactly and it's um i think a lot of times especially people like us who are um you know aspiring high performers we're looking at people who are doing amazing things with amazing podcasts they have their own kind of coaching businesses and you're looking to that stuff sometimes i feel like we can start pursuing other people's goals. You know yeah, what I mean? yeah. Like we think, we think that's our goal, but we've never really defined what's important to us and then defined our own goals. Yeah. So like, I had to do that. Like it's, instead of just saying, Hey, I want to be, I want to be Lewis house. I want to do what Lewis house is doing. Hmm. Like, well, it's, it's just a, di- a completely different circumstance. Lewis house didn't have kids when he started building his podcast. Like he just had a different set of circumstances and a different set of core values that, than I have, and I'm happy pursuing it the way I am. So you have to you have to pursue it the way you want to pursue it. Yeah, yeah. It's your journey. I mean, it's your your what you come through in a different way to Lewis House, isn't it? Exactly. That's cool. Okay, so it's crossroads. So like you said, it's quite pertinent to what I'm uh, discussing with this podcast because this is aimed for people that feel stuck, lost, and frustrated. So obviously, you've arrived at your passion, and you understand what. Uh, inspires you and gets you going but how did you get to that point originally what was what situation what was the story surrounding that yeah I can go all the way back to um, uh, just my childhood now I I kind of lacked an ability or just never kind of pursued the type of person that that I am or the things that that were important to me that I, I figured out later on but essentially when I was seven years old I've told the story a couple times on the podcast, but um, when I was seven years old, my parents, I grew up in a, a, a traditional kind of middle-class American household. My dad was an entrepreneur, had his own garage door business. My mother stayed at home. I had a younger brother. We lived in this 3,000 square foot house that my father built. And um, that was when I was seven. And within months, my mother had a bipolar episode. Um, um. My father lost his business um and we ended up losing the house and the car and um very quickly after that point my parents separated and i split time my brother and i split time with my father and my mother and um my mom when she got out of she went to a a mental institution for months and when she got out when we were splitting time with her we were spent we she essentially was at this halfway house that was um, that was a room. It was probably about three or four hundred square feet. One bed. Me and my brother switched off, sleeping on the floor and sleeping in the bed with my mom. And there was a shared kitchen with seventeen that you shared with seventeen other families. And I just remember the the transition from okay, you've got this level of comfort. You've got everything that everybody you know that, that the, the 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 American dream, right? Everybody mm-hmm. talks about kind of the American dream and. In the United States. So you've got that. And then all of a sudden you're on the complete opposite end of that spectrum where it's all about um, insecurity and stress and anxiety. Um, so I was trying to square that circle at seven or eight years old. Like, hold on, how did you get to this point? Um, you know, are, are we happy as a family and what's the next step? Like, yeah. and I just started searching for, um, people who had been in very tough circumstances and gotten themselves out by um, being character-driven people, by uh, 
being high performers by being great people, but also uh, focusing on what they're really interested in and pursuing that to their utmost. And I went through um, college and I didn't start really reading or kind of um, really digging into what I was interested in from a, from a learning standpoint until I graduated college. And um, that's when I started to think, Hey, you know what, there's got to be something more to this. And um, I became an entrepreneur. I feel I had a failed business, a couple failed businesses. And after that, I started to um, started to really think what is, what is really interesting to me? To me, it's, it's this concept of resilience and how people use adversity because everybody's got uh, adverse situations in their life from small to large, but how do you use those situations to your advantage? Because there's a difference between the people that take those situations and use them for, to build themselves up and to grow. And then the others that kind of use it and they kind of block it out of their minds and they avoid it and they don't grow from it. They actually, they actually decline from it. Right. So, um, I was interested in, in exploring that theme if, if, if what I'm thinking is true or if it's just a, a thesis and a, a hypothesis that's not true. And so I started doing these podcast interviews and I hooked up with Larry Hagner also with the Good Dev Project and, um, and that's how you and I ended up hooking up. But it's been an interesting journey. It's grow- it, And I've been able to grow from it. I've been able to have these great conversations and develop relationships with people like you, Joel, that I just would never have have done before in my nine to five job you know so it's been a fun fun journey yeah it's um it's crazy that there's not people in the local in in my lo- local area that either that i necessarily have these conversations with i mean i, ha- I had to go to america to, to have these conversations yeah. <laughs> that's mad isn't it it is mad <laughs> and either people are thinking about it and not talking about it or it's just you're just a unique individual in your community right is I don't know what, what do you think the answer is to that, actually? I think it's, um, I, I think people are afraid to be authentic, and I think they're afraid to be vulnerable. So that's the only way you can have open, transparent, proper connections with people is, is through those two values, because um, without the, there's, it's all bravado and ego. I agree. I agree. It's, uh, that's, that's where I've come to realize anyway (laughs) especially as a male and especially as a male with a couple kids and a wife yeah you feel like you've got to have this keeping up with the joneses mentality and make sure you're running the household in the right way so it's who knows it's it's a biggie it's a big shift as well isn't it because i mean it's, it's so ingrained within society and and within the the people that are trying to get out of it as well it's it's like, you know, it's still got a breaking free of chains type thing, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, so you touched on um, uh, your, biz- uh, your, yeah, your business. So was that, that must have been a, was that, was that an all-in type thing where you just had a crack at something? Yeah. So that was part of my decision-making process with this kind of crossroads too. So in 2010... I had a six-figure uh, income, great job, upward mobility, and um, I don't know if it was just the the urge to get out on my own and control my own destiny, or if it was self-sabotage, or if it was both. You know, like when you start to really look inward and um, 
and become more self-aware. You just kind of wonder all these things, positive and negative. But anyway, I went out with a business partner, 2010, and we started this consulting business working with higher education institutions, which is um, what I what I work in uh, full time now. Um, and we were helping those institutions lower costs for students because uh, in in America, it's a obviously tuition costs are and uh, and book costs are really really um, are a really really big problem. So we started the business. We each put in you know ten fifteen grand of our own money, and within a year, it was gone. Um, we had a bunch of clients. It was just a long sales cycle in that specific business. A lot of bureaucracy, a lot, a lot of government funding, um, uh, RFP processes in the in the United States are very very difficult to go through. And if you don't have the money and the stability, um, your run rate is pretty much non-existent. So uh, within, you know, a year, year and a half, we were out of business and it was a huge learning experience for me because, you know, I jumped right into this thing thinking, and I had a lot of things that had gone very well for me prior to that. So I kind of had some, some ego involved and ego tied to it. Um, but that definitely made me rethink um, the way that I took action because I have this bent and I think it comes from my father. I think it's something in my family, but I do have this bent to um, when I have an idea to execute on it, but how do I make sure that I do that in a, uh, in a much more, uh, a much safer way, a much smarter way um, to make sure that I'm moving in the right direction, but I'm also not taking inappropriate risks to do that. So I felt that urge happening again to me last year. And that's, when I, and that's when I had to say, instead of just jumping into this, which is what my intuition said to do, that's, that's when the core values exercise really came into play. Because I didn't have, I, I wasn't doing the internal work back in 2010 to really think that stuff through. Yeah. Well, I can relate to that. It's, uh, it's, it's implementing, implementing uh, the life you want, but steps to get you there. It's, uh, that's, that's the thing that I'm going through now this process so uh, I can completely relate to that and that's that's it it's like in Tony Robbins like if you if you listen to Tony Robbins or watch Tony Robbins he'll say you need to jump right in because um, that's the only way you'll succeed is when you put your back up against the wall is the only way that you'll succeed man I just don't know if that I mean having done that and done the the, the other thing I really think you have to figure out who you are first before you do that. I think that's tough advice and he knows, I mean, he's, he's been through it, but man, I just think it's more nuanced than that. It's, it can't just be, you know, because you put the pressure on yourself, you'll succeed. That didn't work. I was not myself when I put that pressure on myself. No, no, it's uh, yeah. Completely relate to what you're saying. It's, uh, it's better. Was the, the change in mindset for yourself? after after baby came i started um really diving into neuroscience and positive psychology probably two years before the baby um i was just kind of starting to i was starting to to really get fascinated with what is adversity what are the feelings and, and the emotional states that, that people get from adversity and then what is the difference between like the high performers that have dealt with really, really significantly tough situations in their lives and transcended it and used it to become better. Um, so I started to dig into resilience research, into uh, 
adversity research into neuroscience, positive psychology, cognitive science. And I started to read every book on the subject, uh, listen to every podcast on the subject. And that's when I decided to write, write my book, which was, um, you know, I did a bunch of research, but it's certainly not a research-based book. It's, it's based on eight principles that I found to be really helpful in um, using adversity to my advantage. Yeah. Um, it's called, you know, it's called um, uh, the game of adversity. So I wrote that book and then I decided I was going to start the podcast afterwards. So then I started the steamroll. It was like, okay, I was interested in the subject. And then I decided to put a stake in the ground with my book and then, I decided to explore it further with people and how they did it on the podcast. So kind of all went from there. That, yeah. That, there's loads of helpful stuff in that book. Me and me and the yeah. missus have, have read it and uh, we both implemented things from it. So uh, check that one out guys. <laughs> was it sweet? The sweet was it sweet? Ad- yeah. It, it was called the game, game of adversity. adversity. That's yeah. right. It's sweet adversity yeah. is the podcast. So I, I, I took a lot from, so I was reading a lot of Ryan holiday books prior to oh, that yeah. too. And I let in Robert Green, and I liked the way that he had like concept, story, and then application in each chapter. And it was very simple. It was just like, you know, here's the concept, here's a story of a person or scenario or situation that shows what that is, and then this is how you can apply it and take action on it. So I tried to do that. It was a short book, um, but I was glad to have kind of a stake in the ground on what was important to me. Yeah, it was, it was, and it's all actionable advice as well. That's the best bit. I mean, it's easy to yeah. implement, like you said. Like, yeah, for sure. Appreciate that. So, so when you um, come to this this crossroads, what what was the um, the feeling? How, how was that manifesting in life for you with regard to um, like emotions? What what emotions were going on at the time of before the crossroads was coming? Yeah, are you talking about the one um, that I referred to in 2017? Yeah. The business. Oh, or, before, or the one before? Yeah, or the one before. So, yeah, I'll talk because I think both cases would be good to dig into because they both had different emotions. So, the first one, um, before I dove in, uh, before I quit my job and dove into that, I didn't have any emotions because I didn't even know what the repercussions would be, which sounds really stupid, (laughs) which sounds really stupid, but I was single. I was single at the time. I didn't even have a girlfriend. So I'm like, this is all on me. Like I don't have, I didn't even think about it potentially failing to tell you the truth. Like I'm trying to think back at like, what was I thinking? Um, I had a couple of really good years prior to that in, in business. And I just said, I'll take this risk and I'll go for it because I think I have a lot of value to that. And I did. But the way that we executed on it was just awful. It was just not, it was, it was like a, uh, an MBA, like a real world MBA and like actually how business works when you're an entrepreneur. Um, and man, I was shook to the core with how quickly I knew like it's so the business probably lasted a year, maybe 14, 15 months, but I knew within four or five months that it was just was not going to work because of the long sales cycle and we didn't have the relationships and all that stuff. So um, afterwards, the, um, the uh, lack of self-confidence that I experienced, um, it was as close to depression as, as I've ever felt. And I do, I do not tend towards depression at all. Mm. I, I, um, you know, my mother's got bipolar disorder, so she goes back and forth. I think I t- tend towards like 
the more optimistic mania side than I do any of the, I, I just don't have those sorts of negative thoughts, but I was really, really depressed about my decision-making because it took me a good year and a half to really get myself back on my feet. Uh, I went, I went into debt, pretty significant debt, 50, 60 grand of debt. Um, plus, you know, losing out on over a hundred thousand dollars a year in, in income. So, you know, that's 200 grand. So I think it was more the, uh, it wasn't really thinking about it prior to uh, taking the risk. It was really at the after effects and the aftershocks of that, of that risk. With this one, I mean, it, it was hugely helpful because the next job that I got, I wouldn't have gotten without having gone through that sort of experience. And I don't think, I don't feel that, that works. Isn't that strange? <laughs> and then, and then also, I don't think I would have dove into the adversity stuff if I had not gone through that experience. Because if I was successful in it, I think my ego would have gotten the best of me. I think I eventually would have failed at something else on a much bigger scale, which would have been way worse. Hmm. You know what I mean? Because yeah. the failure was going to come. It was just in, in what sort of way. So it was a low-scale failure. 10, 15 grand is a lot of money, but in the grand scheme of things, it's not that bad. Um, so then when I made the decision, when I had that crossroads last year, and I was really trying to think what I was going to spend my time doing, I could really sit down within myself and like, I had all the tools, you know, I could, I was writing, I was journaling every morning. I was reading a lot of books. I was having conversations with people like you in mastermind groups. I was um, having conversations on the podcast. I knew that I had a decision and I had the tools to figure out, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to sit down for an hour and a half. I'm going to write down my core values. I'm going to brainstorm core values. I'm going to figure out what's important. And then I'm going to talk to my wife about it. And once you do that work, then you're going to figure out what's the best decision based on that. You're going to anchor it instead of just making a rash decision. Yeah. Based on what you think is important because your ego is tied to it. So um, it was a much more well thought out, well structured decision that I look back at happily. Like, do, am I a hundred percent in on the decision? No, because you still have that feeling. You're like, come on. You know, you could jump into this and do well with it. It's like, well. <laughs> so, so the previous failure certainly helped with my decision-making for, for this decision. Okay. So so that was needed, necessarily. It was like almost like uh, meant to be. like. Absolutely meant to be. So what was you – although that helped you going forward, the failure. You, so, you yeah, you failed forward. Uh, what would you say was your biggest takeaway from that? What was your biggest learning? From the failure? Yeah. Um, I think, um, I, I think it was probably the importance of self-reflection and self-awareness. Like I wrote a big, I, I never published it, but I, I wrote like a big uh, post-mortem of the business. And I went through it with my business partner, who I'm still close with actually. Pretty rare that you would go through something that kind of traumatic, a failed business, and you still be friends with your, um, with your business partner. But like, I wrote a whole post-mortem on like the things we could have done better or the things that we made mistakes on that we could have done better. And you do that critically not necessarily just kind of beating yourself up but just hey just like you would in the sports yeah. in a, right 
you'd look at, okay, we won or we lost this and you'd evaluate it and say, these are the things that made us win, but these are the things that could have caused us to potentially lose this game. This is what we have to do better. Mm. Exactly what I tried to do. I played football and baseball growing up and that's uh, American football and baseball. And I, and that, that's what made me think of maybe I can do this sort of analysis critically and use it constructively to move myself forward. And that's, that's what I've been trying to do with every book that I read, every situation I get into, to be able to like E plus R equals O, right? We talked about that in the, in the mastermind. I love that. That's uh, that blew my mind. That is. <laughs> yeah. The, the simplest, the simplest heuristic has, has been very, very helpful for me. So like this, this guy, Tim Kite, who was a performance psychologist for the Ohio state Buckeyes football team that won the national championship game. I think it was, 2015 and um he had he has this heuristic that he came up with he probably borrowed it from somebody too but uh it's e plus r equals o so event plus response equals outcome so we can't control the event and we can't control the outcome but we can control our response to those two things right Mm. and it's very simple and you can apply it at the micro level at the macro level like every single situation during the day, you can think about that. And as you practice it, it just becomes habitual. Hmm. Um, so I, so that's the self-reflection piece, I guess, is what I'm, I'm trying to say. I think I probably learned that that's the most important thing to me, is just being able to, good and bad, reflect on it critically, and then constructively let it help me. Yeah, I, uh, I, I think that's the biggest thing that's helped me is self-reflection. But I, I was amazed when I learned it, that it hadn't been taught to me earlier. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's like something I should be, I, I think they do it now in colleges. They do like a self-reflection of the course, things you did. Although it's still not of a level that is probably as applicable in life. Right. They don't, do you know what I mean? It's not so transferable, but having that ability to be self-aware and self-reflect, it's, it's a game changer. It really is. Do they, it's so important. Do they, do they do, is that something that's, is it um, popular over in America? I mean, so I work in education a lot. And K through 12 in public schools, no, not really. I don't think they do it quite enough. Um, you're starting to see pockets of growth mindset work um, being done at the lower levels of education. But I do think that more self-awareness is being done at the college levels. Yeah. Sure. But I think it's too late at that point. Like, yeah, you can still get value out of it, but it's nice if it became uh, a habitual part of your uh, the work that you do internally and externally by the time you're six, seven, eight years old. You know what yeah. I mean? Like just getting that to be part of the process. So, yeah, we've me and the wife have noticed we've started to explain because she homeschools our youngest that when he does something wrong, it's explained. You know what he did wrong, and then. What and then we ask him what would he do differently next time, just trying to get the the cognitive brain you know thinking about what he could actually do because it's easy to slip into that victim mentality which which I was in when I first joined the mastermind <laughs> really yeah, yeah, I didn't realize how badly either it was uh <laughs> it's uh yeah not that always I mean everything my life is all on me like you know that's that's yeah. what I am at the moment. So I wonder what spurred you to do the mastermind that like, cause it's cause in, in that victim mentality, it's almost tough to, 
to put yourself out there to, to have those conversations too. So. Yeah, it was, um, I, I wanted to get into NLP, which I started looking into the year before I, like three or four months before I joined the mastermind. And then it, I become aware that it was my, my, it was my, within my brain, the battle that was going to be waged. So it was like, I was aware that it was the, the things I was saying to myself. I almost preset myself that NLP would help me and it, and it, and it has uh, as as well as the mastermind, so yeah, it's I I, I have to dig into that because that's you know what was the what was the crossroads, the actual trigger point, like. It's amazing. So, <laughs> did you say that mastermind group was like critical to getting you to the point where you are today? Oh, absolutely, yeah, wow. definitely, yeah, very they're very powerful. I and the odd thing is, we don't tend to hear people. I don't hear friends talking about these conversations or you know, saying that they've been in a mastermind. We don't tend to discuss this sort of stuff with regards to personal growth. It's, I don't know if it's, you know, our Welsh culture or whether it's universal, but uh, it's it's not discussed enough. And the masterminds are really powerful. Really powerful. So you, you're I still guess. doing them, yeah? So I, so I haven't done, I haven't done any um, in the last probably year or so. And I, so I'm a part of a mastermind with Ryan Hawk, who does the learning leader show, but I'm not running the masterminds. It was part of the core values work that it did. I was like, listen, if I'm going to, if I'm going to, so if I'm going to take this new job and really focus on it, I'm going to have to say no to some certain things. So I ended up taking a leave from that. And actually Andy Storch ended up taking my spot with Larry's masterminds. So who knows? I do. I do miss it though. Yeah. I do miss one of those masterminds big time. Just being around everybody who's trying to grow, I learned. I, I probably learned more than any of you guys did from it. <laughs> it's like amazing the conversations that you end up having. Um, so I, I do miss that. Yeah, me too, man. I'm. Uh, I've just joined um, Vincent Pugliese's uh, mastermind. Right. Yeah, Good. yeah. So that's. Do you know when you start to analyze stuff and be critical, you start to see the steps you need to take. So for me, it's the money, the money step is probably the biggest obstacle at the moment. Probably the obstacle is the way, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. From the business standpoint you're talking about, financially? Yeah, it's, I tell you what I am struggling with, right, is is understanding that, um, and I'm all for it, I've had a bit of a mindset shift with regards to how I think about debt. And I'm I'm all for spending money for self uh, growth and uh, to empower yourself and I'm not for wasting money with credit card usage right. but it's understanding putting you know it's, at the end of the day if you generalize it's still debt so I mean but it's like you're, you're investing to get yourself out of it quicker I suppose that's the way I'm trying to justify it to myself yeah so I think it's the best long-term investment you can make for sure but you have to execute on the on the stuff that you learn. Yeah. Otherwise, you're right. It is, it's it's a sunk cost unless unless you're looking at it as investments in relationships, investments in yourself, and investments in tools that are going to help you. You know, return yeah. an ROI. So. Yeah. yeah. Okay, that's cool. Um, so going back a few years, what would be the advice you would give to your, I don't know, twenty five year old self? 
You're pretty good at this already. <laughs> I like it. Um, let me see. What would I say? My my first gut reaction to that question was, "Don't change anything," yeah. because I wouldn't want to give myself advice that avoids um, the the issues that I that I went through, because those are the biggest learning experiences for me. Like, and I think about this a lot with my with my son, I ask a lot on the podcast and I'm sure that you think about it with your kids. It's like, do you want to protect them from pain and struggle and barriers in their life? Cause that's your natural inclination is to yeah. protect or do they have to maybe in a low, lower stakes way, do they have to, do you have to guide them into situations like that so that they can learn and you can then, get them to self-reflect and like grow from those. You know what I mean? So like when I think of my 25 year old self, I was kind of an egotistical piece of crap. You know, (laughs) so I, I would, I, I need my 25 year old self needs to go through that sort of stuff. So don't change a thing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, uh, I think that's what I would say as well for myself. It's, uh, it's, it's, you, you are, you know, you are your experiences on you. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, yeah. yeah the only Way thing I learn in the book. You are sorry. Way more than you can learn in the book. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I uh, you just said then about your sons and and uh, and failing. We just had a discussion with my wife because we got two in school and one being homeschooled, and the, I said I saw there was a post on Facebook the other day that a, a Chinese or Japanese teacher had posted to this students' parents. Saying that if you if your kids come home and they haven't got A's or A pluses, just remember that somewhere in this class is an artist, there's you know a, a painter, there's a decorator, there's all these different things that these children are able to do. So you know basically don't be too hard on them. Which started the conversation. I said, well, what would be the worst thing if my son failed in school? You know, and what is the definite? You know, what am I defining as failing? Because he's he's a big youtuber he loves he wants to be a youtuber so i'm just wondering how do you balance uh allowing your son to fail while still making sure that he's got a drive or an enthusiasm for something because i wouldn't let him be a bum do you know what i mean i i wouldn't i wouldn't let that happen because to me that would be a waste of life so yeah it's uh what's what's your thoughts on that how would you balance that one out um Man, Yo, I know you're thinking 15 man. years down the line for you, like so. Oh man, that's tough. So I, I, yeah, I mean it's so. So the 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 flip side of that question is like, you know, because you're looking, you're always as a parent, I think, looking for uh, points of of interest with the kid that you can potentially like develop and cultivate. Like my son, my son every time I put on music, he's dancing to music. He's like, he's got like a net. He just loves music and dance. And so, so maybe there's something there to yeah. that. We should be, but like, I'm, I'm athletic. So I'm always thinking about sports. So I don't know much about that. So do you, do you then try and force them into something that they're not as interested in where you can naturally see this passion um, or just this interest in, in music. So like with the YouTubing thing, you and I may look at that and say, 
how can you build a career doing the YouTubing thing? But maybe that's, maybe that's a situation that you can cultivate. Maybe it's like, Hey, let's, let's do some research into the most successful YouTubers. And what are the criteria that makes them successful with it? Like how have they built a business or how have some of the people that should have built a business, how did they fail not building a business doing their YouTube? Like yeah. maybe that's like a case study that you can, that you can do with him and like, and then put it to use. Maybe it's like, Hey, why don't you start a channel? What, what theme would you focus on? Well, I don't know. Well, let's, let's do a, a value exercise and figure out what you would do. And then what is the, co- what content would you put out? Well, I don't know that either. So then you, Maybe that's a situation. Maybe that's a compelling event to figure out a potential business for him. And yeah. and as you get into it, either he likes it or he doesn't like it. He decides he wants to do it, right? I mean, that's my that's my initial thought on that. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's great. I like the way you flipped that. Yeah, I think that's similar because I have I have put it to him. I said, you know, and I've sent him emails and I said, look, read this. It's about how to make money from podcast uh, from YouTube and how to make yeah. money from this. So. But he's always been, nah, I just want to show my games, you know. <laughs> but sooner or later, that's going to have to evolve into something else if he, wanna make, if he wants to make money from it. So Yeah. Okay. Thanks for that, mate. That was good. <laughs> <laughs> right, I, I'm aware we've got we to gotta shoot soon. So I've got one last question to ask, and that's um, where do you see yourself in the next five to ten? Man, um, I mean, there's so many – I, I think there's there's so many there's so many avenues I can go down that I would be happy doing. Like, I don't think there's one ideal scenario that I need that I need to be in in the next five to ten years to be happy. So, like, I could if I do very well, you know, make a ton of money and pay off all my debt. I could probably not work and write you know, just write books, write journals and hang out with my family. Right. That's one, that's one scenario. I could, um, end up, you know, making developing some relationships with the consulting business and the podcast. And I end up uh, building a business doing that. And I go full time at it and that could make me happy. Um, with my full time job now, I could end up in a leadership position where I can coach people, in the way that I'd like to coach them and I could be happy doing that. So, man, I think it's just making sure that every time I potentially get out of line of my core values over the next five to 10 years, that I can pull myself back and pull my family back and make sure that we as a family are living those core values. I was talking to Ryan Hawk the other day. He, he runs this learning leadership. We, he, we should get you to interview him. He's great. Cool. So he's built a great podcast. And, um, he was talking about, so he did his core values and he's actually going to put it on the wall, like in his living room in like the main kind of um, den or living area that they, that they have. And so when guests come in, they know exactly what the Hawk family values are. Like, and I, was, like I haven't, I haven't thought that far ahead. I was like, that's a great idea. You know, that sort of thing where I don't think it's necessarily something I need to be doing in the next five to 10 years. Just like, can I just make sure that I'm aligned to those values so that I make sure that my family's doing well, that I'm happy and that it's a perfect circle. You know? awesome. Brilliant, man. Brilliant. 
I am. Um, that's what I'm going to do now when I finish here. I'm going to take my family through the finances, and I want the kids to understand where we are because at the moment, you know, they want to go swimming on a Saturday, and there's not many in the pot for swimming on a Saturday. So I want to give them a, an understanding of where we are financially and then help them, if, you know, in the next month if they want to go swimming, then we've got a budget, and I want them to understand how that works. And then after that, then, we're going to do our family value. So we're going to have a look see what that's about. So. That's that's a great idea with the finances because then it actually like puts ownership on them and then they can make decisions based on that. Exactly, yeah. Without them going to the supermarket and asking for stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I think your little bit might be a bit too small for that, mate. Exactly, he's way too small, but I would love to start doing that with him already. My wife just came home with four Sesame Street dolls that that he that he saw at the at the store that he really wanted. And he get, Right now, he just gets whatever the heck he wants. So, <laughs> you gotta, I'll, I'll, I'll be doing that financial exercise. <laughs> flow with, um, with, the, with that age because uh, it doesn't last long enough, Nick. I know. I'm sure. I can, I can tell. I was just looking at pictures. His birthday's coming up. So he's going to be two. But I was looking at his pictures from last year. I'm like, oh, my God. Crazy. The change. Like, you don't realize it day to day. But you look back at the, those pictures. I know. How, how old are your kids again? Uh, 13, 12, and 6 in June. So, well, that's me done. <laughs> Unbelievable, man. Awesome. <laughs> Enjoy it. You're doing all the right things, man. This podcast is great. I'm excited to see where the, everything goes with the podcast. Yeah, thanks, man. It's been uh, been real fun. I've enjoyed interviewing today, especially catching up, man. It's been too long. So Absolutely, man. Awesome. So, so do you want to tell my audience where they can uh, connect with you? Yeah, definitely. You can go to nickdenardo.com. You can find all the Sweet Diversity Podcast there. Uh, you can find me on Facebook. I think it's at Nick Denardo. I'll, I'll look up exactly what it is. I'll and then Twitter, Nick Denardo 33. You can find, uh, you can find me as well. The, the, the website's probably the best. Okay, that's fantastic. Awesome. Nick, thank you very much for your time today. Thanks, Joel. We're going to catch, catch again soon. <laughs> All right. All right, see you, buddy. Cheers, Nick. Hey guys, so our show is sponsored today by Blocksleep.com. Blocks supply blue light glasses that help aid sleep. They block up to 98% blue light emitted from electronic devices, enabling a good night rest and quality sleep. Blocksleep.com.